Thank you for listening to CASDA EdCast, where we explore issues and ideas of K-12 education and speak with teachers and administrators about their experiences serving the needs of students in our region. So welcome to the CASDA EdCast. I am here with Dr. Delicia Green, and she is a literacy professor at the University of Albany School of Education. We're here talking about her research featured in the article, We Need More Us in Schools, that explores literacy and language practices of Black girls. I asked Dr. Green to come on this podcast because in reading her article, I realized that many of the findings that she, that she describes in her piece have special relevance to educators right now as we move to remote learning. So thank you, Dr. Green, for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. So to start our conversation, I'd like to ask you what you see as being some of the most prevalent equity issues in the remote learning environment. And so this has always existed. It is now more prominent and more evident, although it's always existed. Right. And so we're seeing it even in instances where, where students are asked and expected to be present in class virtually and be present fully with um, all that young people are dealing with and within that just the constant inequities and the way society helps to perpetuate that i wanted to kind of start with that and so when this piece was written of course it was written back i believe in 2016 so it wasn't written during the climate of pandemic but it had as I had mentioned, inequities have always been in place. And the reality is also that systemically inequities are intentional, whether we want to believe that as a collective society or not. There is a great deal of this article that can speak directly existed and how they are more pronounced, although they've always been present. We're talking, you know, initially about material inequities. Mm -hmm. These are reproduced by the school system that they, schools reflect and reproduce inequities Mm -hmm. that are structured in society intentionally, as you say. And so when you, when you wrote this, right, you, this kind of leads me into the first question, right? So schools, uh, schools mirror social inequities. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to set your study outside of the school? So if I can I can, let me, in essence, frame some of what has, goes on in school and then account for how it, the outer school. So schools are viewed typically as this dominant discourse of learning, uh, which often is rooted in and privileges print materials, mm-hmm. canonical texts, um, and this, this sense of individualized instruction. So this model, in essence, has promoted a narrow conception of literacy. And it often associates deficit labels to describe Black girls, whose literacy and language practice don't necessarily fall within what is deemed within schools as the dominant literacy or the dominant discourse. So this narrow conception of literacy deems also school-sanctioned texts as, these, as the benchmark, in essence, for all other forms of literature. And so this narrow conception determines 
what who's literate and what counts as literacy absolutely fall outside of that in essence there are deficit labels to justify an already inequitable uh, space that's that lacks inequities um, that lacks equities excuse right. me so there continues to be in essence because of that this contention between out of school spaces and in school spaces so this study in essence was really designed to center the literacy and language practices of black girls but also centering and in, in doing that centering their historical traditions their cultural nuances mm -hmm rhetorical strategies that may be outside of quote-unquote standard English. So the study was centered in the out-of-school space because often black girls are forced to, forced by narrow conceptual literacy to leave all of who they are outside the school, the school classroom. Right. So the goal was to really learn more about the freedoms that out-of-school spaces provide. What are the different freedoms? So this idea of freedom in book selection, the, also the use of technology in ways that are not, you know, with technology is not this neutral tool. It in essence is a political tool. So making sure, you know, that we were using technology where they can make meaning, they can engage in identity construction, they can engage in agency. So how can we take elements of these out of school spaces and, and learn from what takes place in there that black girls are drawn to and incorporate that in school spaces in ways that are inclusive in ways that are humanizing but also in ways that are emancipatory pedagogically so that was in essence how this project came to be it came from a place of having an understanding of what is going on in schools and how some account some students are counted others are not traditionally historic students that have been from historically marginalized populations have often been the ones that continue to be at the margins and so i wanted to look at what things are happening in out of school spaces what how does this design play a part in the space feeling humanizing and free and what how can we take those parts that seem to black girls seem connected to and how can we incorporate those in school spaces so that we're not having this you know gap between out of school and in school that in a lot of ways we're helping to kind of merge and bridge those two worlds and so that's why um this study was centered in an out of school space a lot to think about there for sure um it kind of leads into really a lot of the next several questions here um, I think, so could you talk a little bit about the importance of giving students choice in like the selection of the texts and maybe like how you kind of went about choosing the list of texts that like they chose from? Okay, so the goal was to create a black girl centered community literacy program where mm -hmm. participants were able to be part of the design of key parts components of this this program including their input would in essence ensure full engagement and full participation because they had a vested interest they had chosen elements and pieces and parts of it so they felt like there was an enormous amount of ownership that they had in the space 
And the participants selected texts that in essence centered black female protagonists. So the work of Rudine Sims Bishop, really looking at this idea of literature that is a mirror into the lives of black girls, where they see representations culturally, linguistically, the ways in which you know the characters are described, the ways in which the characters engage in AAVE or what we know as African American vernacular English, um, the ways in which you know the the elements of pop culture, the backdrop, um, the setting of being in, in a, a metropolitan city. We wanted to, in essence, create that. So, in essence, students, you know, the participants chose chose three texts from actually excuse me four texts from a list of 10 street literature books so they were actually books that we would describe as street literature which illustrates the experiences um not one not a monolithic experience right. but the experiences um the varied experiences of of black people and so they chose from a list of 10. I, I chose 10 texts, and they chose four of the 10 texts. So you talked about, you know, making meaning and constructing identity. Um, generation of youth now, like they, they construct, I think it's fair to say that they construct more of their identity in online and digital spaces than, you know, ever before. Um, with that recognition, like, are there like pedagogical opportunities um, for educators or to maybe make use of some of these digital spaces, given that youth are, are making meaning and constructing identity in these spaces. Okay, so I'll spend, I just wanted, okay, so I wanted to kind of also talk about, before I answer that, I wanted to talk about, very connected to what it is that you're mentioning, oftentimes when digital technologies have been used in school, it is, it is, it has, it has mostly been to continue to push um, an agenda of traditional schooling. Mm -hmm. In other ways, the digital technology has been seen as this neutral platform. And so there hasn't been opportunities where young people have been able to see a digital tool as a tool of, you know, of, of, as an emancipatory tool. So we're starting to, you know, really think about the importance of, you know, creating these tools as, as tools of, of liberation and freedom and negotiating your identity and kind of just figuring things out. And there are opportunities for um, literacy teachers and, you know, to bring in digital technologies into school spaces where they, you know, they are engaging in meaningful but there are definitely ways that elements allow them to engage in meaning making. There are ways that you can critically engage young people in literacy where nothing is lost, much is gained. Social, emotionally, helping them get through and manage whatever it is that they're dealing with as teens, as, as middle school, as high school, even as you know elementary age, but also doing so in ways where digital literacies and digital technology still allows for analytical exploration and crit being critically engaged. 
So there definitely are ways that you can, you know, you don't have to choose one or the other. In fact, the learnings, in a lot of ways, students are very receptive to learning when they know that you are concerned, not just about their standardized test score and meeting a benchmark, but you are also concerned about what's going on with them personally. So if you're merging both of those areas, young people, it's a win-win across the board. One of the, in, in speaking with teachers, um, you know, several of them have expressed a uh, desire to maintain like a connection with their students. Mm -hmm. um, they're missing the, the in-person contact and the, that you get in the classroom. Um, do you have any insights on how that can be maintained in remote teaching, particularly for students who are historically marginalized by the traditional school setting? So I think in a lot of ways, literacy teachers really need to uh, make sure that they are really focusing on the socio-political issues and, um, and that they are not shying away from those because those are things that students, are, you know, students are dealing with every day. Mm -hmm. um, they have technology at their fingertips, Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram Live, so they are seeing them. But are we give are there spaces in the classroom that allow them to unpack many of the sociopolitical issues that they're seeing in society, but also things that they may be experiencing within themselves? So, in a lot of ways, I often think about you know the importance of literacy teachers bringing in zines, um, which are online magazines and mm -hmm. digital storytelling blogs, opportunities of creating podcasts, um, digital memoirs, digital storyboards, and all of those are very much analytical and, and engaging them critically. For, we, for example, if we talk about a digital story, um, a digital story versus um, young people creating uh, a traditional uh, five-page um, essay. Mm -hmm. You can still, with a digital story, you can still, in essence, capture the research, the, the learning part of that experience, but also the fact that young people are having to account for narration and then making sure at the time that they're saying this in the narration, the slide that comes up is in alignment with what is coming up on a digital story. So that there are definitely ways that you can bring technology in that do not, in essence, add to being analytical, being critical, engaging young people. Nothing is lost, you know, I wanna make it very clear that nothing is lost by bringing digital technologies. And in fact, what it does, it enhances, um, it enhances the assignment. And it allows young people to be not a passive receivers of knowledge. They are also being able to, you know, create, compose. Um, I think there's a misconception that young people are just using, quote unquote, just using technology, but they are creators, they are composers, they, they know technology, you know, they are born, many of them, they don't know a time without technology, so they are born in the age of technology. And so I think a lot of what I speak about in addition to the projects, it's important that literacy teachers also have an understanding that 
in the digital age, students and teachers can come together and create the type of instructional experience in the teaching and learning experience that they would want. I think what happens is teachers oftentimes feel like they need to have authoritative knowledge mm -hmm. and need to know how to use every platform and every, and it's okay for students to show you, it's okay for them to introduce and show you, hey, this is Snapchat or this is TikTok or this is this platform and they can, in essence, help with the design a design with you know for a lesson within the curriculum i think that's more i think that's important for us to really think about that because we have to really get away from the notion that teachers have authoritative knowledge and sometimes with that is the sense that okay i can't bring anything into the class even though it may be interesting even though it may be new even though it may be connected to young people's experiences and their identity i don't really know it that well so i'm not going to bring it in but it's important if you have an understanding of how deconstructing and and and, and all this idea of authoritative knowledge that in no way does that make a teacher less than or a teacher's identity is not diminished in fact what that says is that you are open to learning and you have an understanding that the roles can somewhat shift in order for you to be made aware of the things that they're interested in i mean i I've kind of seen this moment as a great time for teachers and students to co-construct knowledge, given the fact that they're digital natives. I mean, let them teach us, right? Like, they have so much fluency in these um, in these platforms. Uh, right, right. And and that it just seems like right clinging to power here is is really going to create more work for teachers in the end than just centering student interests and student knowledge to sort of create something together that might build even better like relationships in the classroom. Definitely. So can we talk a little bit about language practices um, in digital spaces versus the classroom um, and how that kind of how that was how you dealt with that in the study and how, how the participants uh, engaged in their language practices? So in this particular study, um, I want to—I just wanted to add that Black girls' literacies, they're multiple, they are varied, they are culturally nuanced, and that Black girls are oftentimes intentional in the ways that they use language as an introduction to who they are. Mm. So in this study, the participants in a lot of ways represented themselves in the face-to-face -face discussion. They represented themselves by code switching. And when I say code switching, I'm speaking about the blending of AAVE, which is known as African-American Vernacular English, and also quote-unquote standard English, and how they blended those two together at different points in time. So um, in the online discussions, it was slightly different. Um, it was common for them to use quote unquote standard English throughout. So black girls representations of self were both in alignment with, as well as in opposition of social norms around literacy, learning and language. So there was constant, you know, there was a constant 
negotiation um, linguistically and how that was in essence a representation of these multi, multiple and varied identities that were, you know, were very much playing themselves out at different points in this, in this project. So what's interesting, what was interesting to me was that um, in the in-person sessions, they tended to express themselves more in the African-American vernacular English. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and online, right, you, as you said, they gravitated more towards what we would call, what is the so-called standard English. Um, right. but, but, I mean, you're positioned as a researcher. How did your positionality sort of mediate that, um, that those practices for them, do you think? And, and saw you as an authority maybe online, but not so much in, like, I mean, that was a dynamic I was interested in. Okay, so I identify as um, a black female coming from very similar communities that they, you know, I was born and raised in very similar communities. I'm from the Bronx, Bronx, New York. And in addition to that identity, we're talking about multiple identities or participants, but in addition to being a black female from very, from very similar communities. I'm also in, was in a role as facilitator, organizer, researcher. And so you have all those identities at play, mm -hmm. all their identities and their, you know, how they're engaging and interacting and then all of the intersecting identities as well that, that I come in and also as a speaker of AAVE. I'm also a speaker of African-American vernacular English. In a lot of ways, my identity afforded me access to spaces. Did, did the Facebook discussion happen first before they met you? The Facebook discussions, no, they, we, they met. In many cases, I had already cultivated. Many of them I knew beforehand in some capacity where they have come to a literacy program or workshop or I've seen them in the neighborhood. So they knew me, um, not just in passing. Right. Um, and so also, if we speak about identities between both, of, in some ways there was a, a, a familiarity if you will, maybe not with all of them, but some of them were, that came and participated were not um, part of other programs that I worked with. Um, so they were from the community, but maybe I had not necessarily worked with them in, in that capacity. And so that in a lot of ways played also a part in their, I'm sure their level of comfort. And so when I speak about this work, I also want to make sure I account for the importance of cultivating relationships. Absolutely. Long before they were part of this study, I, maybe not with all of them, I knew many of them before in some capacity. And then those that I didn't know, I continued, you know, I cultivated relationships. So at the time that we started to engage in conversation and they shared experiences, I had already cultivated by way of my previous interactions, or at least for some, my initial interactions, I had already cultivated what many would describe as a safe space. So 
I think that's important that, you know, we really think about, you know, when we think about literacy teachers, do they know their students outside of standardized test scores? Do they know their students outside of benchmarks? Do they know their students, what their literacy traditions are, their cultural nuances? Do we know our students as much as, you know, have we done, have we done our due diligence to know our students as much as we could outside of formal discourse? I think that's important. Do we know them? What are, they, what are they interested in? What do they like? And if you're cultivating a safe space, they will tell you. Right. You don't necessarily have to pry because some people are like, oh, I don't want to pry. But they will tell you. If they feel like you have cultivated a, a, a safe space and you are genuine in that cultivation, they will be very, you know, come to you and very open about what's going on with them, how they're feeling, what they like, what they don't like. So I think that's really important. I want us to really talk about, you know, un have an understanding of the literacy and the social emotional, but there's also a huge part of this also is building and cultivating relationships. I mean, I feel like that has to come first. That's the, that has to be at the mm -hmm. foundation of it, like an mm -hmm. authentic relationship. Yes. Uh, before you could have an authentic dialogue, like classroom dialogue, you have to have a, an authentic relationship and interpersonal dialogue. Right. Yeah, in order for me to feel like what I'm going through is safe with you, I have you have to have in some ways proven prior to that moment that it's safe with you. Is it possible to shift those relationships now? Now that we that we're like can maybe the shared upheaval of moving to remote learning help teachers develop better relationships with their students if may, maybe previously they didn't feel as connected i think you know and i i think i've i've called this um the uh we are in the midst of a panic pedagogy because we're trying we you know we did not for see this instructionally mm -hmm. um many of us knew that inequities were at play but we didn't see foresee that this was on the horizon um instructionally um, I think what this moment, and I'm still processing this, so I don't want to misspeak beyond my ability to process it. I mean, if you talk to me some months out, I can reflect on it. But in this moment, I feel like this moment in the classroom, outside of the classroom, with your neighbors, the things we, we give our time and energy and attention to, comes from there will be a need and a you know um, I'm hoping a need and a desire to build authentic relationships that may not have necessarily happened prior to these things taking place but in instances to answer your question I think we are in a moment where to be in connection is a human experience to be connected but in instances where maybe literacy teachers have not necessarily felt that level of connection there is that there certainly are opportunities to engage with young people especially now in a digital space in ways that center their experiences in ways that 
tap into their social emotional wellness, especially with everything going on. Every, you know, everything is so, seems so uncertain. And so young people are coming to, to, to class, either virtually or through Zoom or some other platform. They are coming in classes trying to process this. The same, you know, as adults, if we're trying to figure out and process what is this, I can only imagine what young people are doing. And so I feel like there is definitely opportunities for literacy teachers to start today in in shifting the discourse or in the, or engaging in ways that maybe they didn't necessarily engage with young people before i think that's i think that's very important for people to consider now in this time this moment will demand a lot of us internally but also others around us will what they're going through will also demand a lot of us so certainly not at a place of sympathy, but certainly a place of empathy. So finally, uh, is there anything that you would, any general practices that you, or ideas that you would share with uh, people in the K-12 space? Yes. To ensure that their instruction is both equitable and culturally responsive in this moment? Okay, so I think what's important to really think about, we have to really move beyond and away from this cookie cutter approach to literacy instruction, this notion that one size fits all. Um, and we have to also view literacy as more than this, you know, box, you know, this contained practice that is boxed in. And that if you fall, don't fall within that box, then, you know, there are, you are labeled. Um, or, so what's important is that we need to make sure that this box is malleable. <coughs> this right. box is, is, you know, is able to bend and is able to contort as young people's needs require it. So I think that that's important to really think about. And we have to um, have an understanding that education and literacy should be an emancipatory practice. It should be a practice of freedom. I think pedagogy of today is so fraught with anxiety and stress and 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 things that are you know are, are constraining and things that aren't freeing. So I think in a lot of ways, if I think about um, the work of Black feminist author and social activist Bell Hooks. And she states, quote, I celebrate teaching that enables transgressions, a moment against and beyond boundaries. So I think what's important to think about is this idea of how are we creating spaces that disrupt boundaries in ways that are supportive, supporting the needs of young people. And then I'll repeat what I've, I've said in some ways throughout is, do I know my students outside of standardized test scores? What are their interests, their passions, their challenges, their schooling histories, culture, their home and community identities? And how can I, as a teacher, create a school experience that honors and privileges 
and incorporates elements of who they are and what they are experiencing. How am I helping them through whatever it is that they're experiencing? Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners before we go? So what I wanted to really um, mention also, there is another um, um, article that I, I just completed and will be out next month. And it's called um, Black Female Teachers Are Our School Parents. Academic Other Mothering Depicted in Multicultural Young Adult Text. So this is in essence a critical content analysis, looking at two texts, Push by Sapphire and The Skin I'm In by Sharon Flake. And so in essence, the, the article focuses on how Black female literacy teachers enact an academic other mother identity in support of their Black female students, academic and social emotional, and cultural awareness. And so the, this particular article that will be out next, next month um, really focuses on this idea of culturally responsive pedagogy. So this article can be, will be published with the Journal of Language and Literacy Education. The article, it will be out next month, by the end of next month, and it will be at um, J-O-L-L-E dot C-O-E dot uga dot edu and that is the journal of language and literacy education and the title once again black female teachers are our school parents academic other mothering depicted in multicultural young adult text well dr green thank you so much for sharing all this with us um thank you for having me wonderful talking to you um and uh you know i can't wait to share this with all of our educators